Galatians chapter 1, continuing our study here through the book of Galatians. And I really like Galatians 1, and we're going to hopefully finish up chapter 1. And my goal was to get and done with chapter 2 today, and we ran out of time at the 8.30 service. And so we were only able to finish up chapter 1 and really get into chapter 2 just a little bit. The reason I like this chapter so much is because Paul is going to give an account of how he got saved. And I think this is really important for us to sometimes stop and hear. We call this a testimony of where Paul's going to share what was going on in the background of when he got saved. Now, I I love this because we have all been in that spot. We've all been in a spot, I hope. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you can remember what it was like when you got saved and how life changed and how things were different and how you really just felt, okay, what does this look like, like now to really walk in Jesus Christ? Paul is an amazing salvation story. And he has a very unique salvation story. Because what you're going to see here in Galatians 1, look at verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul has a very unique gospel story here. Keep your hand here in Galatians 1 and go with me back to Acts chapter 9. Because who led Paul to the Lord? The Lord led Paul to the Lord. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saved, someone led you to the Lord. You heard a teaching by a pastor, a friend shared Christ with you, you saw something on TV, there was something, a parent maybe, a sibling, that drew you towards Jesus, pointed you towards Christ. The Holy Spirit then took that, and then you got saved. But here with Paul, this is very unique. Take a look here at Acts chapter 9. You see the old life of Paul, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, Christianity, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this was the old Paul. Hated Christians, wanted to see them destroyed, and would go hunt them down. He would make widows. He would make orphans because he hated Christianity so much that he would go hunt this down. And he had permission from the governing Jewish authorities to go do this. He was actually at the stoning of Stephen a few chapters earlier. This is how much this man hated it. Well, as he's going, as he's journeying in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He saw the light. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus. So Jesus actually led Paul to Christ, to Jesus. So would you jump ahead to verse 8? Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by his hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So that's how Paul got saved. Keep your hand there in Acts chapter 9. We may come back and make some references to that. And this is what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 1. He goes, I want to let you know, guys, in verse 11, the gospel, the good news, which was preached by me, is not according to man. I heard it from Jesus himself. Verse 12. That's amazing. Now, we have a tendency, once again, to stop and look at somebody like Paul and say, well, he always had it all figured out. We look at some of these Old Testament people, these New Testament characters, and we stop and forget that they had to come to know Christ themselves. They had to grow as a baby believer. They had to learn and be discipled themselves. Remember what the book of James says, that these Old Testament people had a nature just like us. They struggled with things just like us. We read about some of these people, the Davids, the Pauls, the Elijahs, the Elishas, and we think, oh, man. They just had it all figured out. No, they struggled just like we did. They had to come to a point of repentance just like we did. They had to learn and grow. We just have a tendency to forget that. 
My boys asked me recently, they said, Dad, why do we like David so much? I said, David, well, let's talk about David. You know, he's a man after God's own heart, a great king of Israel. He defeated Goliath, all these great things. They said, yeah, but what about the other stuff? Okay, let's look at David's full resume. Okay, there's adultery there with Bathsheba. Then he kills her husband. Uh, You have him trying to cover it up. You have him multiplying wives and concubines. You have him doing a prideful census. And it's like, oh, there are a lot of things about David. Why do we like him so much? He was a man just like us that struggled. Think about some of these Old Testament people that we talk about and we tell our kids about. They're maybe even mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter of the heroes of faith. Try to find something good about them. Go home and teach your kids about Samson. What are you going to pull out of Samson's life? Well, don't go to Philistine prostitutes, kids. I mean, that's the one thing we learned from Samson's life. What are you going to say about Lot? Righteous Lot. Go read up on Lot in Genesis. It's hard to find something good to say about Lot. These are men and women that were like us, that had a nature like us, but they came to the saving knowledge of what it means to be saved. And they had to come to a point of repentance and seeking the Lord. Same thing still happens today. Paul has a very special case. But we still have a role in this. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're talking about the gospel, the good news. As we mentioned last week when we started our study through the book of Galatians, the good news, we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We know that salvation is through him and him alone. We know that. We know there's a hell. We know there's consequences to our actions. We know this. So why aren't we telling other people about it? Paul's unique special case, Jesus led Paul to Jesus. But what about us? Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Start in verse 3. For you are still carnal. For there are envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? See, what was going on at the church of Corinth was surprising church division. So happens today, doesn't it? We get behind our little group that we like, our little clique. And so what was happening at the church of Corinth, there was a group that says, well, I like Paul. Another group said, I like Apollos. So what happens today? Oh, I, I like the way he teaches. Well, no, I like the way he teaches. Well, I like the way that they lead worship. Well, I like the way they lead worship. Well, I like the way she runs things. And so we start drawing these little lines in the sand. We start making our little clicks. We start making our little groups. We get offended. We get bothered. And next thing you know, there is verse 3, envy, strife, and division. And what Paul is saying, you guys are carnal. You're fleshly, focusing on here, focusing on people rather than focusing on Jesus Christ. So what does he tell us? Verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. See, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. See, we all have a small part, a small role, and hopefully the salvation of many people. Our job is to point them towards Christ. Remember what John the Baptist said. I must decrease, he must increase. i got to get out of the way, and I need to point people towards Christ. Remember the three words we mentioned last week that are themed through the book of Galatians. Die, deny, and disappear. I need to die to who I am, I need to deny what I want, and I need to disappear and just proclaim Jesus Christ. Die, deny, and disappear. Paul is saying, it's not about Paul, it's not about Paulos, it's about Jesus. So you plant, you water, and then you let the Lord give the increase. See, there's three steps. 
There's planting, watering, and there's what I call picking the fruit. Picking the fruit is when the person gets saved. Oh, that's a great one. If you've ever been around someone who gets saved, it is just amazing to think that you just witnessed eternity changing for someone. It just changed right in front of your eyes. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing, and you see this person go from death to light, darkness to light, just like that. I love it. Now, the problem is that we have convinced ourselves in this fast-paced American society, that's how people get saved. We see the little video clips. Hey, I've never met you before. I'm going to spend 30 seconds telling you about the gospel. Then you're going to hit your knees and get saved right then. And the next day, you're going to go on tour and write a book about how great Jesus is. It doesn't work that way. You plant, you water, and you let the Lord move and work. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, years, decades. But you're faithful, and you just wait. We had a situation years ago where there was a gal that used to come out here. Had a very troubled life. Very troubled life. And she would contact a lot. A lot of depression, a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems. And she would contact, we would talk her through. She would show up at church and she was always on the verge of breakdown. Just a really difficult time. And we planted and we watered and we prayed and we encouraged and we ministered. And we just constantly kept doing that. One Sunday she wasn't here. She calls me up that Sunday evening, and, she's, and she said, hey, I wasn't at church this morning. I said, yeah, I noticed. She goes, I want to let you know we had a family thing going on, and my aunt invited me to this family thing, and so we went to this different church. She goes, but I want to tell you what happened at this church. She goes, the pastor was teaching. He, he gave the gospel. She goes, and I went forward, and I got saved. Now, my first response was not celebrating. My first response was, I'm the one <laughs> that spent hours planting watering, and this pastor who met her for five minutes, he gets to pick the fruit off the tree? That doesn't sound really fair to me right then and there. I wasn't too excited about that. I was more like, well, no, no, I should have had that. I'm the one that invested. First Corinthians 3, it's not about me. If you have a loved one that you want to see saved, I don't care who leads them to the Lord as long as they get saved. Your job is to plant, your job is to water, and then get out of the way. Let the Lord remind us one more time. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul had a very special way of getting saved. The way we're getting saved here today is we are all planting and watering. Every conversation you have, every interaction you have with somebody is an opportunity to plant a seed or water a seed and you don't know what's going to happen. We went garage saleing recently and before we left we just really prayed saying, okay Lord, we're going to be going into these people's houses. We want to have gospel interactions with them. We really want to represent Christ and how we act and what we do. And Lord, open a door. So you go into these garage sales and and next thing you know, you start having a conversation with them and you feel like a door just got open. So you say something about God. And that's what I did. You know, talked about what the Lord was doing and you stop and you wait. And then it's crickets chirping. Okay. It's just my job to plant a seed and water. I just got to get out of the way now. Go to another garage, same thing. We're talking, I walk in, I have my boy. She goes, oh, you, you have five boys. I said, yeah, we have five boys. We're really blessed. God has blessed us. She goes, why, well, I have six boys. And I didn't know it was a competition. And so then, the next thing you know, we're talking about, you know, what the Lord has done and the blessing. And I'm just saying, just, just, just bite. Just bite at this. Nothing. So you plant, you water, and you get out of the way. Some of you started coming out here to church, and for years, people have planted and watered in you. 
I got the joy of seeing you get saved and become an amazing servant of the Lord. There's people that I've had the honor of planting and watering it, and then they leave and go to a different church or ministry, and they're growing in the Lord. Amen. We're the body of Christ. It's not about who wins. It's about giving God the glory. So what happens here is with Paul, Paul had a very unique gospel presentation from Jesus himself. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us in verses 11 and 12. Let's move on now and see what he says. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. We mentioned that in Acts 9. He was also there at the stoning of Stephen. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Boy, Paul had a resume. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. It's from Philippians chapter 3. Listen to Paul's background. He says in Philippians 3 verse 4, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul says, you want to hear my resume of being a good Jew? Here's my resume of being a good Jew. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Remember all those Pharisees that Jesus is talking to? Paul was of that same group of Pharisees. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless in the law. Go read Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. 613 different rules and requirements. And Paul said, blameless. That's kind of impressive. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul said, all that stuff I did means nothing. Absolutely nothing, because all that matters is Christ. So if he says, you want to talk about a background, this is my background for the Lord through Judaism. It means nothing, because jump ahead to verse 15 of Galatians 1. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him. Among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Paul says, listen, all the stuff that I used to do, look at the I words here. Verse 13, I persecuted the church. Verse 14, I advanced in Judaism. Look at what I did. It's all about me. But then, verse 15, when he gets saved, it's now all about Jesus. This is that die, deny, disappear that we keep talking about. we got to quit living for ourselves and quit living for those things that are going to make us happy and make us fulfilled. And I believe that this action is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. No, Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And when you fully know and understand that, that changes everything. And then for the rest of my life, I am dying, denying, and disappearing to who I am and to what I think I want and trying to put Christ first. Paul said, listen, I did all these things and it's rubbish now. It's all rubbish because it's all about Jesus. So Paul gets saved. And what does he do when he gets saved? Verse 17 Or actually back up to verse 16. I did not immediately confer flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me. He goes, I didn't run to Peter, John, and James. I didn't do that. I went to Arabia. I went to the desert. For how long? Verse 18. Three years. That's a long discipleship class. Three years. Now think about this for a second. 
Imagine, imagine the most famous non-believer that you can think of right now gets saved. And gets miraculously saved. So we we got this non-believer that the world just looks at as the picture of anti-Christianity. They get saved. And the first thing they do after they get saved is they disappear for three years. Now, see, in our American society, we'd get them on TV the next day. Once again, what I said earlier, they'd write a book, and next thing you know, they'd be going and doing a tour of the United States. Paul said, what's important here is for me to get away and to grow and be with the Lord. To really be with the Lord. That's kind of amazing. And look at the rest of this. So three years he does this. In verse 19, I saw, after he goes up to see Peter after three years, he sees him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I wrote to you, indeed before God I do not lie. Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. They didn't even recognize my face because he went and got away. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God in me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. He finally starts getting into ministry. After 14 years. Would you ever think about that? 14 years. Can you imagine once again this person gets saved. And they have this amazing testimony. They disappear for three years. They pop back for a couple weeks. And then they disappear for another decade almost. What are you doing? I can't imagine if someone would get saved out here. And I'm like, wow man, I'm just so excited for you. This is what we want to do. we got a good Bible that we want to get into your hands. Uh, I encourage you to sign up and take discipleship class with Pastor Rich. Um, hey, we're going to be doing a baptism service coming up here in June. Maybe you should think about it. Can we get together and meet and let's encourage you? And he would say, nah, I, I, I'm going to get away for a few years. I would say, I, that's, that's not a smart thing to do. You need to be in the body of Christ, the fellowship. All that stuff is true. Paul is a unique case. But let's talk about this getting away here for a little bit. His three-year discipleship class. Now, as we get ready to talk about this, I want you to remember this verse in the back of your mind. It's Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. It's very simple. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Dustin, if you want to put that slide up. This is something I mentioned a few Wednesdays ago, and I want to go into a little bit more detail here on a Sunday morning. This comes from something I was reading in a devotional commentary months ago. And when I first heard it, it didn't sit real well with me because I had to think through it. I had to chew through it. And the pastor just made a quick little comment about it. And then I'd just been really chewing on it and praying on it here for months and really have grown to, okay, Lord, I think I see what you're trying to say here. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, verse 10. We live in a society and a world where everything just never stops moving. Never stops moving. We go and go and go. Once again, I was talking to a family at a garage sale recently, just seeing where the Lord would take it. And, and I don't even know this family. I don't even know this person. And so you kind of have that casual little conversation of how are things going? How are you doing? And so I said, how are things going? First response, busy. This is the lady with the six boys. You know, we got baseball tournaments coming up this weekend. We got school finishing up. And once baseball tournaments are coming, we got summer baseball and we got swimming lessons and just busy. Now, I'm not saying I do this legalistically. I try not to use the word busy that much in my life anymore. I've really grown tired of hearing about how busy everybody is. We all have the same 24 hours a day. 
In fact, if I try to say that I'm busy, what I'm really saying is this. I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The word we should maybe use is I'm a slave of the Lord. Am I really going to go to my master when he says, hey, James, I'd like you to go do this and look at my master and say, sorry, I am busy. No, I need to be busy about my father's business. So what I really need to do is stop and realize the world wants to throw busyness at me. You all have a very busy schedule. You all have a calendar that's full of stuff. That's the world we live in. We get in a vehicle and we immediately turn on music. We don't have quiet anymore. We walk everywhere with a phone, staring at it, looking at it, listening to music on it. We constantly have something, some activity going on in front of us. I I get all these emails and I get all these things from, from companies that want to come out to the church because the way the church is supposed to be now is we need to have constant interaction. We've got to have constant flashing screens and everything like that. Man, I just don't see that. What I see, if anything, is be still and know that I am God. Remember what I said in Galatians chapter 1 last week. The farther you choose to go in the Lord, the weirder you're going to get to the world. And if you really want to be on fire and crazy for Christ, you're going to be so strange to the world. If you really believe Genesis to Revelation and you're going to live that way and raise your kids that way, you're going to be weird. And what happens is a lot of times I see churches and Christians saying, well, I want to be like the world but just saved. Oh, man, the Lord told us, come out. Come out from them. Still be a light, still be a witness, still represent Christ. But come out from that lifestyle. And one of the things that's very difficult to do is what we're going to talk about right now, of be still. And know that I am God. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. So here's a picture of the tabernacle. Tabernacle is what was set up during the time of Moses, and they kept the tabernacle until they built Solomon's temple. So same situation for both tabernacle and temple. You can see when you look at the tabernacle right here, there's only one door to get in, an entrance right over here. You can't get in any other way, and that's a great picture of Jesus. The only way to get in is through Christ. So right there, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one else comes to the Father but by him. So Christ is how you get in. Now, once you're in the tabernacle, this is where God wants you to be. He wants you to be with him. This is the way in the Old Testament the Jews had a relationship with the Lord, was through this system that was set up. So when you would go into the tabernacle, the first thing you would see is the outer court right here. Constant activity. This is where the animals are being sacrificed. This is where the ritual washings are always going on. There'd be a steady stream of people coming in and offering up animal sacrifices. There'd be rams and goats. and sh- I mean, there's constant activity. And the fire is always going. To me, it would smell like a constant barbecue just going on. So, constant activity. Now, you get into the actual tabernacle itself. There's two rooms. The first room just has a few things in it. It has the altar of incense, which represents our prayers, and that would be lit in the morning and the evening. It has the table of showbread, which had 12 loaves of bread on it, which were replaced weekly. And then it has the menorah, which is a constant lighting to represent, you know, God is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. Now, when you get into the farthest part of the tabernacle, you get into what's called the Holy of Holies, and only one priest, the high priest, could go in there one time a year, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where he would offer up a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Old Testament, this is where God's presence was. There was a term called the Shekinah glory that was right here. Now, where does the Lord want us? He wants us in the Holy of Holies. That's why the veil was torn. That's why it says in Hebrews to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's where he wants us. Where do we park ourselves? Outer tabernacle. 
Why? Because that's where the fun's at. I mean, if you could go back in time a few thousand years ago, set up a lawn chair, constant daily activity, and you would see the people bringing the sacrifices in, you see this guy bringing a whole herd of animals, you're like, what did he do wrong? You know, I mean, there'd just be this constant, constant activity. That's where we want to set up. That's where we want to be. And that's the society we live in, people, is constant activity. We don't know how to be still and know that he's the Lord. And so we have designed our lives to have always something going on. Every day there's a calendar event going on. Every day the kids have something going on. And churches have picked up that same mentality. We always have to have something going on. Now, there's nothing wrong with certain activities. I want to make sure that's abundantly clear. But you also have to remember the Lord the example he set and what he taught us. Go back to the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was constantly serving, constant activity. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says to Martha, 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 you're very busy. You're very busy serving. Mary has chosen the better thing. The better thing was to sit and do nothing. This is where I had a hard time the first time I heard this. If I'm sitting and doing nothing, Lord, who's going to sweep the sanctuary? If I'm sitting and doing nothing, who's going to make sure the children's ministry is taken care of? If I'm sitting and doing nothing, who's going to do this? Not that I'm saying I'm doing it. I'm saying, but Lord, we have to go do stuff. See, the outer tabernacle, constant activity. We've got to go, go, go. But look at the example of Jesus. One of my favorite passages about Christ is in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus got up early in the morning before everybody else. And the Bible says he went to a deserted place to pray. So much of a deserted place that the next verse says that the disciples started looking for him, couldn't find him. And then when they showed up to Jesus, they said, everybody's looking for you. Jesus got away. Now, now put this into perspective. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. And of those 33 years, he only had three years of public ministry. That's all. And in his three years of public ministry, what did Jesus want to do? Get away. (laughs) Paul, you wasted the first three years, and then you show up for a couple weeks, the next thing you know, you disappear for another decade? Come on, Paul. you got a great testimony. we got to get the word out. What did Jesus show us? What did Paul show us? Go into the Holy of Holies. Sit, be still, and know that I am God. And this is not just Psalm 46. Take a look here at Psalm 37. You don't need to turn there. But we know a lot of the verses before it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 62 has a very similar thought. My soul waits, waits silently for God alone. My soul waits silently for God alone. When's the last time you were still and silent before the Lord? Every now and then when we do a group prayer, and if we do something where everybody's going to take a turn praying, I will sometimes announce to people, hey, listen, there's going to be moments where no one is talking, and that's okay. Because we can just be still and silent before the Lord. But why don't we have that time of quietness before the Lord where we just sit? Don't got time. I got things to do. My my life is so busy. What I've noticed is this. When I get still before the Lord and I get into the Holy of Holies and just sit, oh, there's always enough time to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. There may not be enough time to do everything I want to do, but there's enough time to do what the Lord wants me to do. 
And then when the Lord calls me to go do something, guess what? I feel more refreshed. I feel more revitalized. And I feel like I have more wisdom and guidance on what he wants me to do. Rather than a quick little, okay, Lord, there's something going on here. And um, real quick, Lord, give me wisdom, guidance, and direction. Does God honor that? Yeah, he honors that. But there's something about going aside and making time and sitting and being still. It, can, it is difficult to do. It's difficult. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you here this morning, you're going to be like me. You're going to hear it, and you're just going to let it go. Because it's just too busy right now to be still. It's just too busy. What are we busy about doing, though? What have we determined that is so busy that as a bondservant of the Lord that I don't have time to go do what the Lord has commanded and just sit in his presence? Some of you may say, okay, I hear that, but that sounds kind of awkward to me. It is. There's a phrase we like to use as adults that's called an uncomfortable silence where you're having a conversation with somebody and the conversation kind of comes to a stop. What do we do? We immediately feel like we have to fill it with something. When we're quiet by ourselves, we have to fill it once again with our phone, with the radio, with the TV, with some type of activity. Where the Lord is constantly telling us from Genesis to Revelation, get alone, get quiet, and sit with me. Is there anything wrong about the outer court? No, the outer court is amazing. Activities are great. We need to have activities for the Lord. We need to have ministry for the Lord. We need to be busy about the Lord's work. The next one, though, is when you get into the showbread, the menorah, and the incense. Think about what that represents. Incense represents prayer. Menorah represents light, being a witness for the Lord. Showbread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. So what happens is when you move out of the outer tabernacle into the first part of the tabernacle, you start realizing an emphasis on prayer, witnessing, and just being with Jesus. You go from just constant activity to prayer, witnessing, and just being with Jesus. And then you go one step further into the Holy of Holies where you see like, oh, Lord, I just want to sit at your feet. That the greatest day could just be, I'm going to get up and just get my Bible out and just get away. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to find a room where no one else is around. I'm going to make time. Make time in the morning. I'm going to make time at night, whatever works into your schedule. And I'm going to be still. So this way, when I'm getting tossed to and fro by the waves of life, I I am calm, be still, and know that I am Lord. When I need a big decision coming up and I need a lot of wisdom, I'm just going to go sit in the Holy of Holies on a regular basis and let you minister to me. When I got that situation, that person I'm concerned about, that issue, that marriage, that child, that relationship, I'm just going to sit in the Holy of Holies and just be still. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be awkward for you at first. It's going to feel difficult because you're not used to that. I'm not used to that. We live in a society where it's not quick enough to have one drive through at McDonald's. You've got to have two. You've got to have two. And even now at Walmart, the express lane isn't quick enough. Go check yourself out. You've got to move. And the Bible is saying you've got to stop. What are you moving for? You're an eternal being focused on eternity, not the here and now. Well, there's just so much to do, is there? Just ask yourself, is there? And this week, when, when life starts to get crazy, and I know what you're thinking, this is an awful week, James, to think about this. Graduations are coming up, school's ending, it's Memorial Day Sunday. You know, we got Monday, and we got vacations coming up. We, we we're busy. Maybe you're not busy about the right things. Maybe you need to be still and know that he is God. 
Maybe you need to go sit in the Holy of Holies for a while. Maybe you need to follow the example of Jesus, of rising early in the morning, going to a deserted place where people can't find you. Maybe you need to shut the phone off. Maybe you need to get off Facebook. Maybe you don't need to check email. You're not that important. But we have designed ourselves to think we are. Maybe you don't need to check the headlines. Maybe you don't need to know this or that. You just need the Lord. I'm telling you right now, when I, when I first started getting this and realizing this, I, I like the outer court. I like activity. I like feeling useful. I like feeling important. I like feeling we're doing something. Then I started realizing, oh, that next one, being a witness, being with Jesus, and praying. That's kind of important stuff. And then I start realizing the Holy of Holies brings it all together. I just sit at the feet of Jesus. When he says, go, I go. See, don't get the idea of sitting in the Holy of Holies as doing nothing. You're not doing nothing. You're spending time with your Master, your Savior, waiting for what he wants you to do. Rather than just filling your life with activity. Jesus set that example. Listen, how many times you see in the Old Testament that they wanted to talk to a prophet? They had to go to the mountains and find him. Because they were alone with the Lord. Paul. Three-year discipleship class. Pops in for a couple weeks and disappears again. Now, we know that he was also witnessing and talking to people because in the book of Acts, we see that he was having fruit from ministry. But Paul got away and realized the importance of being still and knowing that God is God. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to ask you to pray for me that I can do this. I want to pray for you that you can do this because this is what it means to grow and go deeper in the Lord. It's not about fulfilling all your ever wants, desires. It's not about a full day. It's about the Lord. What is your plan for me today? One last passage and then we're done. Can you go with me to the book of James, please? Let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is an absolutely wonderful passage of just reminding us of who is in charge of our lives. If you're here this morning and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that means you're a bondservant of the Lord. That means you have said, Lord, I'm no longer in charge of my life. You're in charge of my life. So therefore, if that statement is true, quit trying to run your life. Step back, be still, and let him lead you. Take a look here at James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. How many of us are that way? We're going to plan this all out. I mean, you, you know when your vacations are. You know when your days off are. You know what your plan is. And this is the day we live. And we kind of give the Lord some token little side prayer of, uh, Hey, Lord, I planned a vacation. Could you bless it for me? Or, Hey, Lord, I want to do this remodel project. Could you just make sure it goes well? It, it, it's the bond servant going to the master and saying, Hey, master, could you just check in and make sure everything's okay? We got it backwards. Yes, there are certain responsibilities you have in life. The Lord makes that clear. I understand that. The Bible says I need to provide for my family. The Bible says I need to be a spiritual leader. I need to do certain things. I need to be a wise steward of what God has given me. But I got to be careful I don't fall into the trap of James planning James's life. Verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor, a morning fog that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Listen to the straightforwardness of this in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. 
But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Well, I'm not boasting. I'm just looking ahead and determining what needs to be done. The Lord looks at that and says, you're a vapor. Who are you to determine anything? So does this mean I just sit there and I get up in the morning and I say, okay, Lord, if you want me to go to work, you're going to make the alarm go off. You're going to make me get showered and cleaned up and put me in my car. No. There's personal responsibility. The Bible makes it clear. But I just want to encourage you, when you get up and you're going to work, you're not going to work, you're going into the mission field for a little bit. Be prayed up and ready. When you got a day off, you stop and you say, Lord, what is this day for you? Is there something you want me to do? Because, Lord, I would like to get the yard mowed. I would like to get this taken care of. But, Lord, I'm a vapor. It's your day. Oh, i got a week coming off up here in June. Well, I'm going to go do this, 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 and this. Well, no, 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 Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Because I'm here to die, deny, and disappear. Because I'm focused on eternity, not the here and now. Does this mean that you will never enjoy life? And James, you're making it sound like it's this constant life of give up this, give up that. Well, you know, when you really stop and run it through the lens of the Lord, it doesn't feel like you're giving stuff up. You really feel like you're just saying, Lord, it's yours. Psalm 37 that I quoted earlier also has this great passage. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So, Lord, when I stop and give you my life, my joy is going to be in you. And I have spent how many years trying to find my joy, peace, and happiness and what I think makes me happy, when really if I just die, deny, and disappear, I delight myself in you, and all of a sudden there's a level of joy and peace and contentment I can't even imagine. Because why? I realize I'm a vapor and I'm just supposed to be still. So I don't know where you're at. There's nothing wrong with the outer court. There's nothing wrong with the inner part. Those are all good places to be. But I tell you, where the Lord wants us is in the Holy of Holies, at his feet, in his presence, being still and knowing him. This doesn't mean activities are wrong. This doesn't mean outreach is wrong. It doesn't mean events are wrong. They all have fruit. They all have purpose. But make sure your time is in the Holy of Holies. So that way when the Lord does call you out to go and do, you're refreshed, you're revitalized, you're prayed up and spirit-led. I tell you, you'll find a whole new path in life. Try it this week. Pray for me as I pray for you. It's going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little difficult to learn to stop, to say no, to be still. Worship team, if you come forward here for the final song. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we just come to you now, Thank you for being a God that is patient with us, loving with us. Lord, help us to be still. Help us to put you first. Help us to realize that we are just a vapor, and it is your will for our life that we want. Help us to die, deny, and disappear, and just live for you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we lift this up in your name. Amen.